all money is not good money. Fast money is not good money. I don't care if they're like, oh, we'll only take $5 a day. Run, run fast. So when it came to, and I think that's another fortunate thing, we are so used to not having anything that a little bit looks huge. And that's not what makes us successful. So there's been some times where I had to take money that wasn't necessarily good money, but I had to strategically be able to use it because that money costs money. And there's some money that will cost you more than it's worth to Mm. take. This is Get Shit Done, a podcast that dives into how women entrepreneurs are gaining traction and growing companies that scale generational impact. Each episode is real talk from women founders who have successfully scaled companies. You'll learn what they did to grow, how they did it, and the tools they used to get it done so you can too. To get access to more episodes of Get Shit Done, along with free traction tools, head on over to shegetshitdone.com. Welcome back to the Get Shit Done podcast, friends. I'm your host, Alex Batdorf, aka Chief Get Shit Done Officer. Get Shit Done is the platform and community supporting women entrepreneurs in getting unstuck, breaking out of survival mode, and scaling companies that create generational impact. Every week, we are helping you redefine what scale means for you so you can choose the path that's in alignment with your vision. We provide you with the weekly growth playbooks through conversations with badass women entrepreneurs who have all scaled beyond a million and spilling the tea on how you can too. Fun fact, only 1.7% of women entrepreneurs have ever scaled to a million and beyond. So that's why we show up for you every week right here. And as promised from last week, we are giving you a replay of some of our top episodes that will help you boost sales. If you haven't yet, make sure to go back and check out last week's episode with Stephanie Neal, who not only helps you with the frameworks for founder selling, but more importantly, helps you get out of your own way by teaching you how to break out of scarcity mindset when you're selling. And this week, my girl Sita Lash, founder of the Puff Cuff, breaks down how she scaled a seven-figure hair care company through word of mouth. Keep in mind, she had to experiment quite a bit to finally get to her ICP. And if you don't know what that means, it means ideal customer profile. And she'll teach you how to find yours too. Here's what I loved about this breakdown and why we're replaying it for you. Sita proves that you don't need a big marketing budget to scale. She actually bootstrapped this company and didn't invest a lick of money into marketing until five years running the business. But by the time she did invest, she was crystal clear on where to invest those marketing dollars. Y'all, I'm sure you heard a lot of marketing gurus, and you can't see me, but I'm serving very hard air quotes right now, say that in order to succeed, you have to invest in marketing. Well, two things can be true at once. Investing in marketing at some point is critical for scale, but in the beginning, your main focus needs to be on experiments. And if you're like the majority of founders who don't just have money lying around, you can still scale successfully over time with intentional sales and marketing experiments in the beginning. And that's what we're going to break down today. So buckle up, babes. And as you prepare for your weekly traction playbook, please take 10 seconds to rate and review this podcast. 
if it's valuable to you. This really helps more founders like you discover our content so we can grow together. And if you're looking for everyday support in your scaling journey, head on over to shegetshitdone.com slash membership, where you can learn about how we're helping women entrepreneurs grow game-changing businesses that scale generational impact. Our community helps you get unstuck, get the support you deserve, and grow on your own terms. But without further ado, Queen Sita Lash. Sita, welcome to Get Shit Done. Hey, I'm so excited to get shit done. (laughs) Well, we're excited to have you, especially because the product you have is so near and dear to me. Hair, natural hair is a huge part of my journey, my family. And so what you do resonates so much. But before we dive into the product you have and the problem it's solving, we always like to take it back a little bit. Um, to understand what you were doing before you started PuffCuff. So you want to give us a little bit around like what led you to creating this company? So I've always been an independent hustler. I've, I've worked like full time at a school for like two years and realized, you know, I don't like this whole corporate mentality. I think I work better by myself. And I figured out, I, had, I didn't even know what freelancing was. And I'd see these people come in little projects here and there and wait, do the same thing that I'm doing, but making way more money and get to go home whenever they wanted to go home. And you know, I was like, I want to do that. So I'm a graphic designer by, that was my first career. I still do it somehow, but that's pretty much where I started at. And I was living in Illinois, right outside of Chicago. And anybody knows from the North, once you are Tip, it's not tip. It's not atypical for you to be the only black person in your department, the only black person in the in the in the building. Blah 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 blah. And at that time, I was both of those things, and I have a knack for talking and rambling and just talking and talking and talking to people. So people would always, you know, gravitate to me. And one of the topics they would always talk about is, ooh, what is Sita doing with her hair these nowadays, you know, nowadays? Because Black women could do so much amazing things with their hair. So at, the t- at that time, I didn't, I decided to stop chemically straightening my hair just literally because I had went longer between touch-ups and all of my psoriasis and dermatitis and flakes and scales and all that just magically disappeared. And my body, I was like, well, okay, my body's trying to make, give me a message. Stop doing this. Stop getting, and I had been getting a relaxer since I was 10. So I was like, okay, the relief is so great. I'm not willing to go back. And at that time, being, going back to what I was saying at first, being the only black woman in the department, and this is, and and in the building, and this is back in 2006 before and there was even a curly hair movement, natural hair before the YouTube, before influencers, before the Google, before there was being the Google like the it store. is now. <laughs> right, before, right, before all of that. And it was like, I felt like, oh my God, I don't know what this hair is going to be like growing out of my head. And I don't want the attention it's going to bring because only black women, you know, get the stigma of oh my goodness if the hair if you embrace the hair that's coming out of your scalp that god gave you you must be going through something or you're having you know about to start a revolution or something like and i was like no i'm just i just want the relief the from all of the foolishness that i had dealt with with my scalp being irritated 
for so many years. So with that, speed it up a bit. I couldn't find anything that would hold my hair in place because I, I could embrace, you know, going through transitioning from chemically straightened hair to curly hair. It is a journey. And you're like, I don't know what I want to do with this. I don't know how to take care of it. I don't know. Do I put water on it? Do I not put water? It, and it's like, and even embracing what you look like with your hair growing out curly. And I was like, don't know how I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to like myself the way I look. I don't, I'm just, I just don't know. And, but I did know that if I pulled my hair back in a puff, I, I liked the way that looked on me. I started out with the TWA and I was like, oh, you look just like Dorothy, who was my mother from the 70s, which I believe she's a beautiful person. I just wasn't ready to look like that much like her at that time. So I would pull my hair in a puff, but I would have a blazing headache by the end of the day. And the amount of breakage that I could see where the hair would break right where that elastic band, I will, I would actually elastic band fan I couldn't use because I suffer from migraines, so that immediately, just looking at the elastic band would make me have a headache. But I would use shoestrings, boot-length boot shoestrings, wow. take it, tie it around my neck, bring it up to my hair, and then cinch it, you know, pull it and try to cinch it until it got to my, my puff, the, the shape I wanted it, wrap it around 50,000, 11 times, you know, and just hope that sucker didn't move during the day. And with that, I was like, no matter what, I ended up with a headache. Mm. And I was like, this is ridiculous that I have to suffer in order to style my hair the way I want to. This just brings up, you know, Q, Solange. I just feel like the thing that always, when I think through it, that gets me is the amount of turmoil that Black girls have had to go through with our hair. I'm very fortunate. I mean, I'm biracial, but my mother, who's African-American, she you know, was very adamant when I would go to hair salons and she would literally look at the women and be like, if you put any relaxer in her hair, I'm gonna beat you down. Like she was very adamant. Mm -hmm. But I think also because her experience was she got the relaxers growing up, she got the hot comb. And seeing that, like, how much we've had to try to bend towards whiteness in order for us mm -hmm. to to be in our existence, which is so crazy to me that full circle like how many people want what we have that is what's so fascinating to me and like we have been we had been told for I mean generations that this thing needs to look this way um so that's mm -hmm. why this is so so it hits home for me because I've seen that throughout throughout my family so you have this this you know issue that you're personally dealing with. So tell us why did you decide to start PuffCuff, and also what problem is it solving? So first off, the problem that it's solving is there are no other styling tools, styling accessories that will allow a person with curly textured hair to put their hair up comfortably because everything out there. And I discovered this through, you know, not like, I wasn't like, I'm going to go research hair tools. No, it was just literally from me trying to find something that 
met the idea that I had in my head of what puff cuff should be and what, how puff cuff should work. I just discovered there, everything out there is designed for straight hair or designed for you to have to straighten your hair in order to have success of use because everything binds the hair. So binds the hair to give it bulk. So it takes the, the fine straight strands, binds it together to give it, to, to give it bulk in a ponytail, you know, or a puff or whatever, or a ponytail. Cause if it's straight, it's a pony. Um, and it was like, well, I don't need anything to bind my hair cause I've already got the bulk. I need something just to hold my hair in and not break comfortably. That's so, been my experience. And not because I have thick, right, thick right. hair and, that, and so many things like those clips, oh, uh, ran through them. They could not hold my hair. It just breaks, breaks. Right, right. And that was the thing that I, I was also dealing with is like, okay, first of all, nothing's designed for my hair texture and my hair density. And if I'm trying to use something that's not, then most likely I'm going to have to alter it in some type of way. Or I'm just hanging on until it breaks because it's not meant for me in the first place. So then it was like, okay, well, let me think of something that, because like I said, I'm a graphic designer and I've always been, I mean, my mother always had us selling stuff at craft shows. So that whole DIY thing was already in me. And I, there was a little clip that my mother and grandmother used to have and you, everybody's seen it. In the Caribbean, it's called the pony comb. Here, it's it's a little comb about this big, mm-hmm. but it had teeth all the way through, and it had a hook at the top, and it was usually like tortoiseshell in color. So I figured if I could find something on a much larger larger scale, but with teeth that didn't go all the way through, because ain't nothing but straight hair getting through teeth that are that close to each other. So I'm like, I don't. That's not that's not gonna happen. So um, that's pretty much where the idea came from. And I just couldn't find it. So I just happened to be in the right place at the right time working at a community college. So I had access to all of the engineering professors that were adjunct professors at night and were, you know, usually just, you know, professionals by day. So they were, you know, implementing whatever they were teaching by day and, and just teaching at night. So I was like, okay, I think I need an engineer. And I was able to put my idea on paper and, but I just had to figure out how do I get it off of paper and make it a three-dimensional prototype. And I just networked with the college and then found an engineer that would talk to me about it. And it kind of went from there. Amazing. With that engineer, did, what type of partnership did you form? Did you have to pay them up front? Did you like, what did that look like? taking this product to market. I'm always very fascinated by physical products because of, which we'll get to later because of what is required um, in terms of whether it's capital, whatever expertise. So what did that, that conversation look like? How did you decide who would be the one to help you create this thing? To be honest, it was all, it was nothing but God just putting the right people in the right, in my path, because like I said, I networked with the the people, the professors, I cite, I catalog stocked and email stocked and said, I, you know, all the people in the catalog, this is before everything was online. So literally flipping through the inch, the inch thick, <laughs> uh, co- college catalog, just try and emailing professors in the engineering and CAD department 
till somebody would sit down with me to talk about the idea. One professor did, and he was like, you don't need me right now. You need a CAD engineer. I've got a really nice guy who works, you know, works solo. He's from Germany. You should talk to him. Went and talked to him. Most amazing man I've ever met. And he was, he was the right, I didn't know that I was in the right hands, but I literally was in the right hands. And he helped me with, and got us, got my, got a, a working prototype. We're still friends to this day. He in turn turned me on to my manufacturer, which is an injection molder to get the tooling and everything done. And basically I'm, I'm saying all this because I didn't know what I didn't know. And it literally was one person connecting me to another person to connect me to another yes. person that helped me through the journey. I didn't know, you know, what all this costs, any of that. And it literally was like, do you know that to build a mold for a plastic tool costs $27,000 between 27 and $30,000? I didn't, I didn't, we didn't, I didn't have that kind of yeah. money, but it was me talking with another friend, another coworker saying, you should go to the SBDC on campus because they give free advice for businesses and they help you get, you know, your business plan together and this, that, and the other. And they might be able to help you get your first loan. And sure enough, they did, you know. Yes. And th that person I'm still, you know, on LinkedIn with. So it, it really was for me. I almost was blessed to not know everything that I needed in order to get this process done. Mm -hmm. But just the Lord plugged in the right people for me in the right timing. Now, I did have some, you know, there was some ups and downs of people that I had to, you know, like, uh, maybe this is not yeah. right. But primarily that's how it and went. I'm, I'm happy you you laid that out because you know a I had this conversation last weekend with girlfriends of mine who are all entrepreneurs and we all said like if we knew how hard or all of the things that were ahead would we have made the jump but the other thing is seeing so often with entrepreneurs and this is what my grandmother calls we're the the microwave culture instant instant culture is that we want things ASAP, we want them now. And I think when we're going to market with companies now, there is that pressure cooker we put ourselves in to get it right and to have all these things laid out. But you're saying, I didn't know what I didn't know. And that's exactly why I'm happy you highlighted that because there's that urgency to have this plan. And it's like, you can have a plan, but things are gonna happen. So you now made mm -hmm. these connections. You're, you're going to market. Something that stood out to me that we chatted about was you said that, you know, this is something that you thought was only going to be like, you know, black girls are totally going to cling to this. But you said that, well, actually, we saw a diversity of women gravitating towards this. But what I'm interested in, because what we see often with founders and because we're visionaries, we want to go to market. We want to help so many people that then we become unfocused. So can you walk us through like, who was that initial customer that you had that was like what we call your hell yes customer? Like you didn't really have to convince them that much. And what did they have in common? You know what? That's a good question. I was like, I had to think about that for a second because in all honesty, okay, when I created this, like you said, I really thought this was just going to be a side hustle that black girls like me, black women like me that were suffering from the same issue, that that would be my customer. So make it, we going to be very plain. 
Black women are the most skeptical people in the world. Absolutely. And mainly because, mainly because we have been burned so many times by product promises and brand promises that don't amount for shit. And it's like, because they didn't care about us in the first place. Only only thing they cared about is the fact that we spend more money than anybody Mm -hmm. in the world. But so in the beginning, uh, in the beginning, it was not, I mean, black women became my customer, but I really had to do the, the, what is it? The dog and pony show in order to get them to really understand that this was a benefit for them and that this was an investment, not a throwaway item because we're so used to the crap that comes from these Asian beauty supply stores that all they're doing is all they're meant to do is get your money and get you hooked. So one of the things was with the puff cuff, when I made it, it was like, I don't want to give women a tool that they have to replace in, you know, next week, (laughs) you know? Because they were able to work. I wanted it to be durable. I wanted it to be, to, and to be durable. It's something they can last and, and, and last and be like, you know what? This was worth the money. But, <clears throat> excuse me, my price point, I, we really had to convince folks. So what I ended up having to do was I had to go on the road and just was like, sit at shows, like demoing and talking and, doing, and treating everybody like we were, you know, best friends from high school. But it took a lot. It took a lot. And one thing with with black women, they can be your best cheerleader or your worst enemy. Is when you piss them off, they are loud, and they 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 will they will blow you up. You know, for it. So it was like okay, right, right. I was like, I gotta walk this line, and I'm one of them. So I can't even, you know, I'm one of them. (laughs) Right. So I get it. I get it. So it's like I gotta be. I got to be careful on how to and, and understand that we're, it's not just, you know, buy this product. We're coming from a different place. You know, we're coming from history and residue and how we've been treated before is a whole lot that goes in before we actually get convinced. And the fact that there was nobody out there doing this other than me. So it wasn't like, oh, yeah, you know what? Shaniqua did the same thing and I liked her product. And you, it's not like it's a shampoo. Or a conditioner, you know, one, one's making one out of last seed, one's making one out of aloe vera, you know, it's not like that. So I was the first one and it was like, no one was, no one was jumping in on the concept to tell you the honest, honest truth, which I'm not going to lie to you. I hate it when people profess, press start that way. Cause like, no, I want you to tell me the best lie. But anyway, the honest truth was the, it was non-African women and non-African American women that were like. I get it. I want it. Ah, okay. Because it was, they also, it's like colorism. Curly hair is like colorism. It spans every racial background there is. So it's so many white women that would come to me and whisper. (laughs) It's like, girl, you okay? That's really cute, actually. (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's not right you want to say that's a whisper right but and that was not my target market it didn't even dawn on me that they have the same issues that we have we just don't speak about it across color lines so when it was in a in a and, and this happened in a at a beauty show in new york where it wasn't a black hair show it was a professional beauty show 
And, you know, I had so many people, not African-American, come up to me and say, I get it. I need it. I want it. Not even a second thought about the price point, anything like that. And it was, it was because they hate rubber band. Everyone equally hates yes, rubber bands. It hurts. Right. It hurts. But there was nothing else out there. So when it was like, now I can, I can, cr I mean, I had so many white women talking about the keratin treatments that they're doing. I can stop. Wow. I've been doing keratin for, I'm really a secret curly. I'm like, the fact that you are, right. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't even know that that even exists. Right. And right. I was blown away. This is what I like about this. Blown is away. Is that, you know, when we go to market, it's so, it's so easy for us to get fixated on this is our person. I was listening to, what mm -hmm. was that one? It was some like drink. It was an alternative to beer back in the day, Zune or something like that. Uh, they basically said they were trying to target men, but it was women. I think it was like, like, uh, and Hauser Bush, whatever they were trying to put mm -hmm. this in market and they kept ignoring that women were buying this product the and they just kept trying right. to go to market with the right. message to men and they imploded their own business. So you now know, okay. And this reminds me of one of our founders, Kahindo. She makes beautiful premium, like African print products and mm. She even told us, she was like, a lot of my key customers are white women. And I find that mm -hmm. fascinating. So you have this demographic that's like, okay, I'm ready to put my money in. And you have an understanding of, oh, they have curly, curly issues or texture issues and they need solutions as well. What helped you build that trust though with black women? Being the face, seriously, being the face and my, you get, I come as I am. Same. First of all, I'm too damn old to be acting like different. <laughs> I am who I am. So gone. I'm not performing anymore. Right, right. You take right, right. I'm not performing. You take me as I am. Not everybody's gonna like me, and I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. But I know that I am. I'm a child of God that is trying to do the right thing. So I'm not. You know, I don't. As long as I'm right by Him, you know, I know I get off get off the rails a little bit every now and then. Same but, you know, girl. It's okay. My whole thing is I. Uh, all right, right, right. I'm, I mean, good. yes, it's just, it's a lot Basically, of passion. I'm, it's just, you've got to right, it right. I mean, good, right. My, I may talk loud, but I'm not mad at you. I'm you just, know. you know, passion or whatever. I get it. So, but when it came to black men, women, one thing I refuse to do in my branding is to have only what society viewed as beautiful black women in my branding. Mm. I purposely did not yes. use professional yes. models. I got people from the grocery store. I got people from my church. I got people from, from that I worked with wherever I will. And people right now, my family's like, look at her. She's getting ready to walk up to that woman and ask That's her right. if she wants to be a model. <laughs> But I really wanted people, I really want, I don't care. You could be, I wanted all shapes, all sizes, all everything. Cause I wanted people to realize the beauty is with in them. Mm. Forget what everybody else says. If this makes you feel beautiful and makes you be able to, I mean, it's a tool to help you accept who you are. That's what Puff Cup is. Oh, I love that. Point blank. You, you're reminding me of Tindai Morris, who I, I still need to introduce you to. We interviewed 
and they have uh, their products for black women. And very similarly, they went on the road talking to women and her being the face and saying, you know, here's why this matters. And I think that's so, so powerful. And you, you're giving me Fenty vibes too, but I think that's what Rihanna has done really well is like, we are not going to use the standard supermodel to do this. Or even, I mean, cause Rihanna's mm-hmm. like, mainstream gorgeous right she's like no we're going to get the plus size woman Mm -hmm. that's overlooked we're going to get the plus size man who identifies as her like all of those things so i absolutely love this and and that's really powerful marketing and actually speaking of marketing you didn't invest in marketing for five years and this is an ongoing thing that we hear from really successful companies is that they built grassroots organically in the beginning. And I truly believe that's what built solid foundations. When you got into year five, you said, okay, well, this actually is making a a difference and you ended up blowing up. So I would actually love to hear when you decided to do marketing, where did you to invest in marketing? Where did you get started? Because for five years, you didn't, you were just on the road, spreading the word, getting word of mouth. So what platforms did you choose or channels did you choose? Okay, so I should say I have a little bit of an advantage because I'm a graphic designer and I look, I've worked with marketing departments my prior career. So I, I kind of, you know, I knew what I needed. And that first five years, yes, I was on the road, but I was content building. So we would video and photo, you know, I take photos of everything. That organic reaction of a person who I put a puff cup on, when you see a little girl light up because her hair's in a puff and she sees her hair, in the mirror for the first time, I mean, it, it'll make the, a, a seven-year-old white man cry. So it was, I was, I was literally gathering content and building my tribe because then what would happen is I would take that same image and get permission to use it. And then that little girl sees herself on Instagram or that I've had, you know, uh, I've had 70, 80 year old, 70, I would say 80, 60, 70 year old women who were your skin color that literally put a puff cuff in their hair and tears start to flow. And they're like, cause my mother was white. My father was black. My mother never knew how to do my hair. So I never felt pretty. Now that you've put this puff cuff in my head and I'm like, you know, I didn't think I was changing lives like that, but that, that is real. That's real. When you have somebody and we're all, we're like, women standing around her telling her how cute she is. And she's like, I never thought that I would love my hair because I was, uh, the whole time I was little, we got, all of us got so much residue from the past that I learned to hate my hair. And it also became a contention between my mother and I's relationship. So it's like through a, through a hair tool. That's what I was like, Lord, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than what. I ever thought this could be. And to tell you the truth, Alex, I didn't forgot what you actually asked me. What the question was. Oh, marketing, marketing. But that's a part of it though. So, I think, <laughs> but I, I'm glad that you, you mentioned this because that is what it is. Like we hear founders that are like, I'm not a marketer and they want to outsource. And I'm like, the best marketing is when the founder is the guide. And when you're the guide, it looks like being so in tune with your customers what their their challenges are, what they're feeling, because when they articulate that and they show you that feeling, 
That's the copy copy for your next marketing campaign. You don't need a fancy agency, maybe later when you ain't got right, the time. Right, right, but right. early on, your customers are your marketing. You don't. That's all you got to do. Your customers are. And if you have a product that's great, if you have a product that's great, it it all of that comes out organically. And if you have the opportunity to capture that, it's priceless. So that's what we did. It was all about content building and regurgitating and, and at the same time building a tribe because let's 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 face it. We are more women are more apt to buy or try a product because of a recommendation rather than Absolutely. an ad. And if they can right, if they can literally and that's why I said it was building that organic social proof. Ooh. It was women telling other women you need to try yes. this. My biggest our biggest ambassador in the beginning was a young lady. Her name Honest Liz on Instagram. She's Indian. She lives in Pune, India. And it was literally women of not African. I was like the face for African-American women. And I knew I had to get other African-American women that had different hair texture with me. Because then it would come out, oh, well, you got good hair. Excuse me. Right. <laughs> What, what, you know, or, you know, your hair is softer than mine. It's like, okay, you know what? Okay. So I'm going to gather up everybody, whatever kind of hair mm -hmm. you got and you brown, we go puff cuff yeah. you just so you can identify with the next person. Mm -hmm. So you can be the testimony. But then when it came to people of other race, white girls would come to me, especially customers. Is that can a can a white girl use this i'm like again where's the disclaimer that they can't that what the beauty industry does <laughs> but the you? thing yeah. is mm. but i'm saying it was a it was the girl in india who started promoting puff cup i didn't even know how she got a puff cup i think a friend of hers brought it back mm. from the united states to her and she started promoting and when she did that's when it was like the light bulb went on, went on for other ethnicities to be like, oh, it's not a black product. It's a curly hair product. Mm. Duh. Right. I've been saying that forever. It just happened to be a black woman, that woman that figured Social it out. Social proof though. So is that where, so it sounds like you didn't have to pay for that. That, that was very organic. When you all started investing. Plus I was broke. Right. Right. <laughs> I was broke. I ain't had no money. Right. And honest, I just think <laughs> investing in marketing early on, like paid marketing is just not a good idea. Later on, absolutely. So when you did start, you now have this organic marketing, this social proof. What platforms, when you started investing in marketing, which platforms did you decide to lean into to be an amplifier for that word of mouth? It was Facebook and Instagram, and we're going to put a little PSA. It ain't the same nope. as it used to be. Last after, nope. Right, right. So don't run out and get a Facebook and an Instagram account and start boosting posts and paying for ads. Don't do yeah. it. When Apple decided to break up with Facebook, all hell broke, yep. you know, it all tanked. But in the very beginning, Facebook and Instagram allowed us to reach audiences all over the mm. world that had necessarily, you know, never heard of a puff cuff, but they had curly hair and they knew what they needed. So that was, and we made, I mean, we spent a lot of money, but we made a lot of money when it came to advertising digitally. Yeah. Right now, since, and, and, and 2020, I'm gonna back up, 2020 was our best year. The pandemic year was our best year because guess what? 
nobody could go get their hair straightened anymore, no matter what color you were. So it was like, I got to be on Zoom. I got curly roots growing out with this straight stuff. You know, it was, it was, it was the best time for us because everyone needed to felt like I need to be a, if I'm a, if I'm going to survive with these kids at home with me and be on Zoom, I need to put my right. hair up. And guys were growing their hair out. So it was like, they're the same thing. They all hate rubber bands too. They just don't know what and they I mean. love this movement. So it was a matter of, <laughs> right, right. So it was, right. I'm like, no turning back. So that would be, it was, it definitely was Facebook and Instagram. Now it's a different story. Mm. Now it's a different story. So we're still actually in the midst of trying to figure out, we had the sweet sauce. Yeah. And we put all of our eggs in that basket because it wasn't broke. It was like, it, we, you know, it ain't broke. We don't need to fix mm -hmm. it. Let it, just, let it just ride. And we'll come up with a good budget. And as long as we're getting like a 3X return, two and a half, 3X return, excuse yes. me, return, we're good. Oh, I'm so happy you but, mentioned that. Yes. So, and, and that's what we did. But when it, when it changed last year. Oh, I want, I want. I'm still mad. I want to get into that a little bit because first of all, I'm so happy that you mentioned metrics here. Rule of thumb, and I'm for OG get shit done, queens and comrades. You've heard us say this for digital ad spend. You should be you should be looking at a ratio of three to one. That's gold star, gold standard, or two to one, at least, bare minimum. The other thing is you know, these platforms, social platforms have such a monopoly now and it's so pay to play. It is not the way it used to be. What do you feel changed so other founders who are considering the investment in these platforms right now are well-informed and know what they're getting themselves into? Because let me tell you the amount of founders who have come to us and they're like, I spent all this money and they're not well-versed in A, how to navigate that platform. They're just leaving stuff on. So they're losing all this money. They don't know how to read the dashboards, whatnot. And it's just, you have to pour way more in now for it to actually work. So what have you experienced? And, and to your point, what has pissed you off the most? What's pissed me off the most is Apple said, you know, Apple, everybody was on the playground doing just fine. And Apple, after the election, which I really believe that's what started it, all that foolishness with Facebook and, you know, aiding the political unrest and blah, 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 blah. Apple was like, you know what? I'm about to take my ball and go home. And they did. So, and they could, but I don't believe, I mean, they got enough money. They didn't realize how that was going to hurt the little guy and it's really hurting the little guy. If I'm on a, if I'm on a conference call with CMOs of major brands and they say, you know what, we're about to pick Facebook and Instagram to the curb because even our conversion rates are down. Our new customer acquisition is down. Everything across the board is down and it's easily pinpointed to this one point in time. Unfortunately, not everybody knows Sita, but everybody knows Rihanna. So if you got ma major brands like Fenty, like, you know what? I, 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 we can't do it anymore. Then it's like, okay, then what am I supposed to do? I'm still trying to get people to find out about me. But the large brands with the huge recognition, they don't need digital advertising as much as the smaller companies do. So now we're trying to scramble and figure out how to navigate this 
but it taught me diversify your marketing portfolio. Point, point, point blank. Because you are so not in control, own as much of your data as you can, period. Own your customers. Like right now, I've been selling on Amazon for nine, eight years, eight, nine years. I don't own any of those customers. Those are all Amazon's customers. I cannot reach those customers. So it's like, okay, but that, you know, like I said, the Lord taking care of me when I didn't know he really was, us building our, 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 our email following, building our SMS subscribers, building our, you know, our, our followers on, on social media, but knowing that still Instagram and Facebook could erase all those people tomorrow. And it, it gonna be an issue for them as much as it's gonna be an issue for Ooh. me. Oh, I'm so, so. happy you mentioned this. <laughs> Our founders are probably listening right now because we say this all the time. Paid ads are trash early on. Um, and it's it's because of this. I think it's a be a great compliment, but because of how things have changed, it is just not it's very predatory. It is just very predatory. So I'm so mm -hmm. happy that you mentioned this. It's like, you need to own it. Like, yes, leverage that platform to build your awareness. It's top of funnel though. You just posting on social media mm -hmm. every day and on those platforms, you need to move them down the right. funnel because you need to own that data. Exactly. Get them on your email list. Get them off of that platform. Because right. just because you have a million followers, right. I remember there's this one influencer it was this big thing a few years ago. She had like, she probably paid for bots, but it was like, like 3 million followers. And she wanted to launch a line of t-shirts. She couldn't even sell 26 different t-shirts, probably because she didn't have an email list. She was trying to, to, to target everybody just on the platform. And she probably paid for bots, but I'm so happy that you went. But that, that's that, that's that what you were talking about, that microwave mentality. Yep. I call it add water and Ooh. stir. It don't work like that. It does not work like that. It does that. not. It's like, but that, but. But that's, that comes from, you know, yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. We ain't going to go down. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah, it, this takes work and it's peaks and valleys all mm. over the place. Prayerfully, prayerfully, there's more peaks than valleys, yeah. but take everything as a lesson learned. And I, we learned a big ass lesson last mm. year with the Apple Facebook thing. And it was like, okay, thank God we had our core customers that you know have been with us forever and they were we started adding other products to build our average order mm. value to complement the yes. puff cuff but the, the there was two things that got me is puff cuff i made it to last so people don't have to come back and replace it they may you know buy a couple because they're like oh i want one in my purse i want one in my car i want one in my gym bag da, 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 da. but then we had to focus on the education to say you know what we need to let people know you need more than one because you can do more styles, you can be more creative, you know, just the whole educational factor of it. But putting your eggs in that one, and then also beware all these predatory emails with from people saying they figured out the secret sauce because they lie. Lies. They are there's lying. no secret sauce. Just there's no secret sauce. And I don't care if they say, you know, I'll only charge you, you know, five thousand dollars to run your ads for the they lie. They it's lie. bots. It's it's bots. So there's no right. It's vanity metrics. So there's no quick fix for this. Vanity metrics do right. not equate to actual traction. So there's that. I love that you mentioned that was a whole marketing yep. masterclass. So 
you know, another thing, I really appreciate that because man, I'm always like, stop spending money on them ads right now, or that being your only thing. So I appreciate that. Another thing that really stood out to me when we originally um, spoke was you've never raised capital for this business, which I think is, I, I love that. And, and also in this type of space where it is, can be capital intensive, you have to get the products. It's physical. You can't just put up an app. But you've been able to grow this company. You now have 10 employees. It's expanding rapidly. You mentioned that your goal is to exit this business in six years. So what do you think will be key in getting you to that exit? Okay, so I should I should say, I can't say I've never raised. I got plenty of loans and people call that raising. <laughs> But I like no. this. It's, it's being no. clear on what that because everyone, when they think about capital, they don't think about that. They think about they VC. Think, right, right, right. They think about, so I've never had venture cap. Well, <laughs> put it this way. Up until the pandemic, it literally was a $50,000 grant here, a $50,000 loan here, a American Express credit card, you know, the whole, the first five, six years of this company was built on ruining my credit score, not ruining my credit, ruining my credit score, which you can bounce back from, you know, ruin the, you, yeah, use the money that you can use. Cause typically brown people, we don't have an uncle that owns a building that will give you a million dollars, you know, or, you know, that you can, you know, Every we own homes, but even our peers are like, I'm sorry, boo, but I'm not gonna take out a second mortgage. No, but you want to be a business person. <laughs> you know, it ain't ha it doesn't happen to us. It does not happen for us like that. So again, I did early, you know, I had to get and I almost lost the company because I had so much feeling so many feelings of inadequacy because I didn't have venture capitalists knocking down my door to say, I'll give you a hundred thousand, I'll give you whatever, but, and a hundred thousand. And then I'm glad I didn't take it because that's no money. I could, I can do a hundred thousand. I can spend a hundred thousand literally in and like you know two, how much two, three weeks you would have had to give up for that hundred thousand right, in order to do that for that. hundred. Exactly. So I'm like, and I didn't know what I didn't know. And I probably would have been like, oh, this is good money. No, all good money, all money is not good money. Fast money is not good money. I don't care if they're like, oh, we'll only take $5 a day. Run, run fast. So when it came to, and I think that's another fortunate thing. I'll say Lord looking out from his, his child because we are so used to not having anything that a little bit looks huge. And that's not what makes us successful. Yeah. So there's been some times where I've had to, I've had to do, okay, what is it? A bird in a hand is worth more than what burden, of, whatever they say that is where I had to take money that wasn't necessarily good money, but I had to strategically be able to use it because that money costs money. Yep. And there's some money that will cost you more than it's worth to mm. take. But it took, honestly, it took a pandemic and how many people die, black people dying unjustly for black businesses to get the economic boost that we've deserved for years. I got more money from Uncle Joe and Aunt Cam than I have in the first 
six, seven years of being in business and always being in the black. Mm. So it's, it's one of those things like, it's a shame, but I tell people, get your coins, mm. get them while they give it. Get that guilt else, money. Get that right. money. Get it. Get your coins. Cause you're going to be mad when they say, you know what? We're just going to forgive all of that. You know, we, we know we've been doing y'all wrong. We've solved racism. Even if you, <laughs> right, God. Right. So, so I'm like, literally no bank, no, nobody would give me money. Like uncle Joe and Aunt Cam has given, given us mm. money. So we're using, and that's allowed us to, and then we had another venture capital for, uh, firm, 1863. If you don't know what that year is, go look it up. But specifically, that gives money to Black founders, you know, and I was able to get another six-figure loan from them. But there, it, so between that, those six figures and the six figures of the EDIL, that was the money that I got to help build this company. There was no, there was, and you need significant money like that to build a company. And that's where we're at right now is I know that in order to get this to the evaluation that I want to get to, I'm going to, I'm going to end up having to take probably venture capital money, but still at this point, we've been in business nine years. I still own a hundred percent of my company. Yes. Nine years. You've raised well under a million for a capital oh, intensive yeah. type of business. That says a lot. So what made you decide that you wanted to get to that exit, that six years? You said adamantly, I want to do this in six years. Why is that important to you? Because, okay, so I have three patents. One of my design patents is expiring within the next seven years. So I need to have the brand recognition and the, you know, the social proof out there because I don't. I'm not trying to be fighting with, you know, people with pop-up puff cups. I'm not trying to do that. I want to get my coins first, then y'all can do whatever you want to with it. And then once I get mine, mine is my, I want to, I mean, I really want to do like Richelieu. I want to sew back into the community in one way or another. And I know I can't do that with, I don't want to run this to the, till I die. I don't want to sit here running puff cuff till I die. And I'm, I'm going to be 50 next month. So it's like, Okay, with that time of the six years, I'll be good. I, that, that will have made me been doing this for almost 15 years. And I'm like, by that time, I see other people doing it. It'll be my time to sell. I'm so glad you broke down your reasoning for why to exit. Because I think so often, in, again, microwave culture, we're comparing ourselves to what other people are doing. So then we don't really make decisions in alignment with what our vision of impact looks like. And I love that you were able to answer that why very clearly because I meet founders who aren't. They're just saying, I'm going to be a billion dollar company, but I'm like, but why? You, you can be a hundred million and profitable, 10 million. Like there's so many different avenues of what success looks like. And we rob that from founders because there's so much smoke and mirrors. So I'm glad you were able to walk us through that. So one of my favorite things to ask, and it's always like, wow, there's probably so many, but what do you feel has been one of the biggest mistakes you've made in the nine years of running this business that has turned out to be one of the 
best lessons for you as a leader? Okay, so the first one, I have two. The first one is what I just said. All fast money is bad money. Don't, like you said, the smoke and mirrors, don't get the wide-eyed because somebody is actually throwing you in the grand scheme of things is a crumb. Know your numbers so you know what exactly what you need in order to get to those points. I say it's three. Never, if you ever have somebody that's prepared to give you money, never say, if they ask you how much do you need, never say how much can you give. Never. <laughs> Don't ever. Your, do I it. love that. Know your numbers. <laughs> right. Know your numbers. Know your numbers. And then the last thing, which I'm really, in all honesty, it's been the last couple of years that I've been practicing more of taking my fucking seat at the table. I'm tired of asking permission. Like, you know what? You can, you know, there, there, there is so much. You, yeah, you judge me as soon as I walk in the room because of society's history and everything else. But I didn't done a whole lot. I'm tired of being treated like I need to ask permission. So that, that, that's my thing. That is a word. That is the TED talk. I think we're done. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but that's it. <laughs> like there's literally, I was talking to a friend about this the other day where, you know, for me, and, and thank goodness for having tribes and people, family, you know, whatnot, friends that support you when you show up as fully as who you are and you walk into a room and like, I deserve to be here. And it takes a lot of social undoing to get to that place. So I am, I am all here for that. So I'm so happy that, that you have that stance. And one of our, our mottos, I guess you done is fuck 4%. And we say that because Women own nearly half of businesses, but we only bring in about 4% of total revenues. And going back to what you said, seat at the table, ownership matters. We can't have seats at the table at 4%. That's just not. And there ain't no investor or venture capitalist that's going to save us. We're going to save our goddamn selves. So my question to you mm -hmm. is, what are you focusing on today to grow your business revenues to the next level and to get to that, that exit in six years that, that you're looking towards? I'm going to have to say we are, we are re, the pandemic made it so we had to rethink some things because you don't plan for a pandemic, you know, <laughs> and whoever says that, you know, that didn't change their trajectory, that didn't change their plans, that didn't change their thought process. They are lying. Or they're missing out. You had to, right, or the right, one of the two. And it's like, okay, this was a lesson learned. We've got to rethink some things. but. Our main thing now is new customer acquisition, large level exposure, and financing that will take us literally to that evaluation. That's, that's where we're at. I love that. And whether it's product launch, because I have one more patent that I have not executed on but it takes money to execute. Mm. So, and I should say too, international market. If I get in Brazil and Africa, I'm going to drop the- Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> like that's the next right, level. Right. Yes. Yes. Right, right. So that's what we've got our eyes on. I love yeah. that. So my final question is how can we support you in making that happen for those listening? 
So for those listening, we are, Puff Cuffs are available on our website, thepuffcuff.com. Also, we have a mail line, Puff, the PCmail.com. You can find us on Amazon. I would say definitely follow me on LinkedIn, on and Facebook, Instagram, all the channels is either at the Puff Cup or you can find me at the real C to E. But just that's just the following and the communication. Of course, you know, I want y'all to buy a puff cup because that's how I keep my, my family fed. <laughs> but <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Get Shit Done. We hope you got the traction tips you need to grow your company on your own terms. If you want to learn more traction tips like these from Badass Women Entrepreneurs Weekly, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, queen, show us some love by rating and reviewing this podcast. This really helps us reach and serve more women like you in slaying their way to traction. And if you're looking for more support on your scaling journey, head on over to shegetsshitdone.com slash join, where you'll become a part of the movement of women entrepreneurs giving 4% the middle finger. Until next time, Queen, I'm Alex Batdorf reminding you, you got this. Now go out there and get shit done.